After the mind-blowing events of The Empire Strikes Back, the rebel forces are in tatters. Across the galaxy, Han Solo and Princess Leia are being held captive by the dubious Hutt crime family. Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine are mounting the Empire's final stand with the reconstruction of the Death Star. Everything is set to fall to ruin, unless Jedi Master Luke Skywalker can save the galaxy. For now, this is the end of the road, as we conclude the Star Wars saga with Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Welcome to Star Wars Week and to the review of the final part, for now, of the Star Wars Saga, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, and the conclusion to the greatest film trilogy of all time. What might some might consider to be a weaker film than its previous attempt, but let's be honest, it is quite hard to improve on perfection. Really kind of is. They were screwed from day one, if anything, with uh, Return of the Jedi. Now... I am a much bigger fan of Return of the Jedi than the kind of general consensus. No one thinks this is a bad movie by any means, but maybe just not as perfect as its brothers. Um, are you of that consensus? or yeah, are you of course. The... Like I said, okay. it's part of the greatest film trilogy of all time. To discount Jedi is to discount that trilogy. Whereas A New Hope set in motion and changed cinema forever, and Empire Strikes was the greatest sequel of all time and still the best movie ever made, Return of the Jedi still closes that saga in a way that I still don't think has been rivalled. I agree. I think this is the movie of the original trilogy that has the more obvious flaws, ones that are very easy to point out and kind of... Because all of my problems with the with the New Hope is just timing, really, and kind of not holding up to repeated viewing. I can point to concentrated examples of, well, that wasn't the best in Return of Jedi. That said, it's still my top five movies of all time. Um, now, a little bit of a background, if you don't know. Uh, as we talked about in the last episode, um, George Lucas let his uh, old teacher, Irving Kirshner, take over. But uh, he was actually kicked out of the directing guild at the end of um, Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back because they disagreed with some of the things he did. So just putting the credits at the start of the movie... Sorry, for not putting the credits at the start of the movie as you meant to, and put him at the end of the movie. Um, the guild of directors reacted so badly to this that they actually kicked him out. And this means he couldn't have his first choice for the um, Return of the Jedi directing chair, which would have been Steven Spielberg. Oh my Christ, I can only imagine just how much better this movie would have been with the greatest director of all time at the helm. Although it's, it, you can't discount his supposed role as a producer entirely, because there's a lot of moments... Of, of childlike wonder in this movie that I think could only have been influenced by Spielberg. You know Spielberg had a few words in the ear of George Lucas. Oh, gosh, yeah, totally. But he was um, snookered and had to go with a non-Gill member. He chose Richard Marquand, who's a Welshman. Yeah. You may not have known. Um, 
two films. Now, the problem with Richard Mark one was he had absolutely no experience with special effects. My information on this is a little bit fuzzy, but basically at some point during the course of the production of Return of the Jedi, I don't know whether everything was filmed or if it was halfway through production or whatever, basically Richard Mark one was kicked out and George Lucas took up the reins. Um, so this is kind of half Richard Mark one's film, half George Lucas's movie. And, yeah, that's the kind of difficult... But all three Star Wars movies have slightly difficult birth. You'd think at this point, being the powerhouse it was, it wouldn't have had that, but that's what some of the problems with um, Jedi's put down to. I don't agree, but that's some of the things that people like to harp on. Now, getting into the things, um, as with the last movie, which introduced Boba Fett, Yoda, and um, Lando... Two major bad guys are kind of introduced. Now, the Emperor was introduced prior to this. It, it appeared in episode one. It. So, sorry, episode four. It. Not episode one. He. He, sorry. He appeared in A New Hope as part of just a holographic projection. And then later on, in person, although way more uh, mysterious than he did just appear in this movie, in The Empire Strikes Back, and I believe in one scene at the end with Darth Vader, uh, as they're walking along... Their uh, their fleet at the no that's that's the start of this movie when they're the walking start along. Of this movie this is the first the, physical the, appearance yeah this is the first physical of the appearance. emperor so we'll, we'll get to him uh, in a moment of course the movie opens with the daring um, rescue of Han Solo in Carbonite Harrison Ford did actually sign up in the end to come back as the character of Return of the Jedi thank God and it means unless you watch the remastered version where he does turn up for one god awful scene in New Hope <laughs> which is my least favorite scene in all the original trilogies in the remastered versions, we get to meet Jabba the Hutt. Yay! And fat people everywhere gained a new nickname. Basically, yeah. Jabba the Hutt, member of the Hutt crime family, which is actually explored in the expanded universe that these mm-hmm. guys are actually quite notorious, as it turns out. Don't know how, considering that they don't really move a lot or do anything. No, but they must kind pay of... their henchmen a heck of a lot. They're shit sound as the Mafia, they just rule by ruthlessness basically more than anything else that he's so happy to kill people and people just listen to him although I suppose if he al- might eat them like I say if the alternative to doing what they say is getting killed by a rancor you know what you're going to you know choose. what I mean um, he's kind of you opening level baddie in the same way of like a general grievous um, I wouldn't say Darth Maul he was kind of the antagonist but you understand um, what I'm driving at there here's the weird thing right mm-hmm. in the best movie of all time Jabba, Jabba's place was taken by a wampa. Like, it, yeah. like the abominable snowman is, oh. is 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 in Jabba's place in the best movie of all time. I forgot to tell my story about the wampa. I'll take real quick now. Yeah. The only reason the wampa exists in um, there in the start of Empire Strikes Back is between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Mark Hamill was in a terrible car crash. Of his own doing, apparently, he was drunk and driving his convertible, it all gone a bit to his head, and they basically had to reconstruct his face. That's why he looks to have aged about ten years between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So that's the only reason that scene was actually written in, just so they could explain why Luke's looks so different between the two movies. I digress. I had a piece of knowledge that I should have said in the previous podcast. Back to this one. Giant space slug, Jabba the Hood. Do you think it was, like... He's been mentioned in both uh, New Hope and Empire, and in the original theatrical cut was never seen. Um, he was meant to be a man, which is why that the ad, the additional scene with him in, in New Hope is so god-awful, because I've had to CGI over a person. Um, do you think he's too much too late on in the series? 
In terms of such a big character taking up such a big chunk of the movie to come, you know, at the last minute in the last movie, do you think he was too much or just enough? You think about it in retrospect. Probably at the time you think, why are we spending so much time? Like, we know about Jabba. We've heard from Jabba. Han Solo is scared of Jabba. We should probably be scared of this guy. And then you realise that how quickly like how quickly Luke can overcome this threat like it's nothing but that I think that Jabba's more of a means to an end to show off just how powerful Luke is now uh, at the start of this movie well at the end of the last movie Luke uh, agreed to go into hiding so that the Empire couldn't find him to complete the rest of his Jedi training to become a master and when you see Luke he is a master he is he is the first and last Jedi Knight in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. It's just him. It's all on him. For him to be able to overcome somebody that Han Solo has no chance of overcoming single-handedly, I think serves a great purpose in the movie. However, you look back at it, it is a lot of the movie wasted where we could have been fighting the Empire. I get why they did it. It doesn't work as well now. See, I'm in two minds about Jabba. He's definitely had staying power. He's not like some... You know, what some character they invented that's kind of fell by the wayside. Because you hear about Ewoks from time to time, but for the most part, they're just kind of contained that movie. Whereas Jabba is mentioned, you know, just as frequently as the likes of, of Chewbacca and, and that kind of level of character. Jabba's up there with them. He's kind of comical and over the top. As much as the puppet Yoda holds up, puppet Jabba doesn't hold up as well. No, no. Really? You kind of wish they, you know, spent a bit more time animating him and making him a bit more mobile. Than yeah, he's... you'd like him to have a bit emote a bit more in the eyes and the face rather than just literally like, yeah, like this big flappy mouth and that's all. But he's that's because that's, that's exactly the problem. I was never able to divorce the fact that this is just kind of a big blob thing with move midgets inside of it moving. <laughs> like, oh, little thing. Um, when Leia jumps over the tail to go and choke him from behind. There was actually a midget operating the tail. <laughs> right. They, Leia didn't know where he... Well, Cavendish Fisher didn't know where he was, and she basically stood on his head in stilettos, and Damn. they had to stop filming for, like, a good few hours, because, first of all, they had to stop him screaming, because, you know, he just had a stiletto through the head, and they had to build a hard bit over his head so that Leia could jump over him. <laughs> um, so there you are. Every time you see Jabba, just know there's four midgets inside of him, <laughs> and you will never be able to unsee that image. Um... Well, he does lead to quite a good action scene, um, which is the Sarlacc Pit um, stay of execution that Luke gets. Also, a great shot of R2-D2 helping the day by launching the yep. lightsaber, and we get the, oh, the, the green The new lightsaber. The, the lightsaber that Luke built by hand. By uh, hand? Hand and solo. Uh, uh, <laughs> he built it by hand solo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. So he's built that lightsaber. It's green. He's a Jedi Master. This is a totally different Luke Skywalker than what we saw in A New Hope. Green is the best lightsaber. Green color. is the best lightsaber color. It's the choice of masters. Yoda had a green one. Quiggy had a green one. Kit Fisto had a green one. It's the choice of the best Jedi. Done. Um, the Sarlacc Pit. I want to bring up for something because it's a great scene of the Boba Fett being utterly useless, useless and yeah. just. Firmer being inexplicably popular despite the fact he's awful and there's no point to him even being there apart from being an envoy to the the Empire he gets defeated by a blind Harrison Ford yeah where is he oh there he is oh he's dead yeah. um, <laughs> the Sarlacc is something the... I want to bring up in a point in favour of the remasters they have a bad rep understandably so 
But in the original, there was no beaky mouth. It was just a pit with some teeth. Whereas in this one, they added like a kind of, you know, triffid kind of yeah, um, yeah, Venus flytrap thing. I like that addition. I think it looks better than just a hole in the ground. It makes it more plant-like and more menacing. Um, that's all I wanted to bring up, really. Fair enough. Um, it's a good point, though, because not this is where we should probably ad- start addressing the special editions and the remasters of these movies. Because... We had our time to talk about Hope and Empire for the movies that they are. Timeless. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be touched. Return of the Jedi is one of those movies where, like you say, I do feel that as time has gone on, the updates have helped it. Not improved. Helped. Yeah. It's not a better movie for being remastered, but there's little things that are a bit more... Now, of course, you have to wait that up with the entire dance and singing number inside Jabba's Palace uh, which actually really now want... I think about it kind of throws the balance off completely because that is just second only to the Jabba the Hood scene why was Hope. that put in because George Lucas is silly oh god I apparently thought... well this wasn't as much as he wanted to do he also wanted to replace Admiral Akbar with a CGI character oh that would have been he never tricky. liked Akbar's design and it is admittedly quite stiff and doesn't talk very like it has the most, the you know, even less lip movement than Jabba it, has. It's, but... it's General Octo, Dad. What more do you want? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but yeah, great opening scene. You get to see it's like a heist movie, basically, in the middle of your Star yeah, Wars yeah. movie, and it's just cool. Just and... it's the it's the nods as well, like Luke to R two, Luke to Han, Luke to Lando. Excellently done in the Family Guy one, where it just goes on for ages. ages. And everyone's nodding to everybody. He's a baseball player. No. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, Okay, let's, let's get on some of the new characters. We've talked about Jabba. Um, the other big bad guy was the Emperor. Finally heard of, kind of seen in Smoke and Mirrors, but this is the first time you see him. And as I said in back in our episode 3-1, I think he's better now we've seen the prequels, when we've seen him at his true height of his powers. Yes. And we've seen more of them manipulate inside. Um, that said, still a very iconic character and very well played in this movie I yeah think. again by Ian McDermott who is just excellent in this character and it is his iconic role it is the one he embodies the most mm-hmm. um, but we come to a point in the Emperor's life at this point where he seems a lot more fragile yes. than he was in previous attempts this is not the same Palpatine who threw half the Senate room at Yoda this is not the same Palpatine no. who ruthlessly took down Mace Windu with the help of Darth Vader. He's ruling through bureaucracy more so than pure power. Exactly. To the point where Darth Vader, even though he doesn't want to instate Palpatine's rule, he wants to make his own rule and forge his own destiny as a true Sith Lord, has Darth Vader completely under thumb up until the most crucial moment. And I think he's the be- his best role... The best reason for him existing in this movie is so that you can have the redemption of Darth Vader. You have to do a bit of one-upmanship to kind of make someone even more eviler than Skeletor so that, you know, then Vader has something to do, ultimately. Because had they not introduced the Emperor at this point, kind of hard to envision where they would have gone other than killing Darth Vader. A quick note on the visual design of Palpatine as well, the withered... Yeah, uh, sort of pale yellow and red-eyed thing. Obviously, we now know comes from fee- force feedback on his own force lighting, which makes no sense. Um, but fair play to the visual, the practical design and visual design of that movie at the time. Because Ian McDermott was not an old man no. when he played. He was a young man. He was a young it makes man. No sense. And then and then grew into the role as the prequels came around, which again so then was older was a... by the time it was time to play him younger. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Um, and that fragility kind of masks his ultimate power, which is then when he turns on the the lightning, he's like the big oh my god, what is this guy? This guy's even more eviler than than Darth Vader. So I do think sometimes he overshadows Vader that you kind of see Vader. You've built him up in your head as the ultimate badass, and it turns out he's subservient to this guy. But I think he ultimately serves his purpose. Yeah. He's just kind of being comically evil. He, he doesn't cross the line like he does in episode three into almost comedy. It's it's much better stated here with kind of like just an evil grin. But yeah, a, a good performance here. He's always reminded me of Goza for some reason. I don't know why. Goza the Gozerian? Yeah. From Ghostbusters. Yeah. Just that, that all-powerful... Somewhat. It's because they both shot lightning. That too. But also because they're both omnipotent in a sense. They are... They are like gods, because Gozer is a god, and Emperor is, the Emperor is the very, very first point where it became the Galactic Empire. He was the one who said it. He is the myth. You know about Darth Vader going around, force-choking people, slamming them against walls, killing them with lightsabers. The Emperor doesn't have to lift a finger. It's no. his word. Mm-hmm. You know he's badass just because of... You know, if Darth Vader is bearing to him, you know he's some powerfulness. So, so those are some good positive things we can point to. And I said at the top of the episode, there are actual... Unlike the other two movies, there are flaws I can point to. And their name is the Ewoks. George Lucas tries to sell you teddy bears. That is the big slant against this movie, is that this is the most blatant and unsubtle toy advert in history. Because he owned all the, the licence rights still at this point. And he... The, the the shorthand is he wanted to make teddy bears. Essentially, yeah. Because apparently the original plan was it was gonna the last scene was gonna be set on Kashyyyk and we were gonna see the Wookiees. And the way I've seen George Lucas kind of the what the version George Lucas likes to say is it's easier to get a lot of um short people and put them in, you know, and use up a third of the fabric you would use on one seven foot tall Wookiee. So it allowed to have more of them. Basically, what he's saying was he, he couldn't find 12 Peter Mayhews. Essentially, yes. Um, he couldn't have gone to the flipping NBA and found basketball players and just said, just go, rah! <laughs> couldn't have done that, apparently. But, you know, finding a load of um, short people, no problem. Um, and he also wanted to show that anybody with the right spirit and can-do attitude can take on the Empire. And I appreciate the Ewoks from that point of view. They show that even, you know... Sorry to be a pun here, but the littlest of armies can do something when they put their mind to it. They do actually end up helping defeat the Empire. However, however, they're awful. Yes, because they are just toys. They are teddy bears. They, they are teddy bears. That bear in mind the name of the Ewoks is never uttered in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I don't just mean in Return of the Jedi. I mean in Star Wars. I mean across six films, the Ewoks are never mentioned by name. No. Bearing in mind that the Ewoks also got their own spin-off cartoon series. Yeah. This is the marketing arm of Lucas. And it's it's on, on full force here. Yes, I suppose you could argue that when you get down to it, you could probably learn to love Wicked as much as you love the other characters because he becomes part of this. But he's just a toy. Like, the, the lightsabers probably... like. They continue to be made into toys nowadays. Mm-hmm. They are toys, and they are wonderful, and I do love a toy lightsaber but that has meaning and purpose because yes. these are weapons of characters that you adore and you love whereas name one personality trait about Wicked other than he's furry and makes noises he's curious 
that's not something I want in my teddy bear. No. Um, <laughs> well, in my opinion, they're just they don't suit the tone of the movie they're going for. This is meant to be a not a serious movie, but it's a serious time in everyone's lives. You know, they're on the verge of victory against the Empire. You know, everything's in a start this movie after Empire. Everything's in a downward spiral, and then all of a sudden you've got cute little cuddly animals coming into it. I would say that this is kind of the equivalent of if we got to Mustafar on in episode three and then Jar Jar turned up and was with the fight all the way through, just kind of doing like a running commentary and just bumbling into stuff in the background. Oh, God. That's how I feel about this. That's just, a horrible thought. It is, but that's how I equate it, of just like these kind of, not comedy because they're not funny, but done for comic effect characters coming into what I, what, when, the, the time of the story that requires weight and gravity and all those other good things we mentioned about Sif not very present at least on the Endor scenes in uh, Return of the Jedi that said this is not a redeeming quality of the Ewoks but what lessens the blow is that they are part of essentially a three way finale true you've got three you've got a land battle a space battle and a lightsaber battle going on simultaneously which is why which I think brings Jedi kind of up a few paces that the Ewoks have knocked it down yeah this we we do say at the end of Revenge of the Sith is probably her favourite ending and her favourite moment comes from Return of the, from Empire Strikes Back but in terms of action this might be the best ending yeah totally because it's it's it is the final escalation they they do a second Death Star run because there's a second Death Star to destroy the best lightsaber battle of the original trilogy takes place in this movie in terms of action and emotion mm-hmm. And then, of course, the ground battle, Endor, is one of the most iconic locations in Star Wars lore. I've well, been there. Well, not the, not, planet, Endor. not the planet of Endor, but the forest moon of Endor, at least. I, I've, I've been to the Redwood Forest where they shot all the speeder bike chases. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, there we go. The speeder bikes. Speed bikes, awesome. They are incredibly iconic. That's what gave that ground battle pace. Mm-hmm. And it made it more exciting. So otherwise, it was just teddy bears slinging rocks at stormtroopers you put the speeder bikes in it adds an element of urgency and then of course the space battle brings Lando back and of course you've got Admiral Ackbar Captain Octodad like you've got those characters do you think we'll be able to get through the entirety of this podcast without saying his catchphrase probably no of course we won't it's a trap Ah, why but but Um, yeah it's, it's arguably one of the top Three space battles of all time of all the Star Wars is especially when they're flying into the Death Star. Ah, and dude. it's it's you know um, Lando and Yum um, Yum in the um, in the Falcon with Wedge Antilles in the X Wing and all the oh it's just fantastic. That's a big that's it has more sense of scale than the original Death Star one because you've got all the Corellian feet as well and all the Death and all the Star Destroyers and the Super Star Destroyer feels like a big, important, weighty battle, then you go down. And I like the pacing of it all, how you're never left with one for long as it needs to be. If you spend extended time with Ewoks in that section, you're like, there's a lightsaber battle to end all lightsaber battles going on, and we're here with the teddy bears. <laughs> Perfect, like, you know, like a gear just going red. Yeah. They all match each other perfectly. Just amount of great amount of time given to each and one. All three are great escalations of previous battles we've already seen, mm-hmm. because the second Death Star run... Uh, takes the trench run of just going down the trench and shooting the thing to a whole new level. Now they've got to go inside the Death Star. They have to blow up the reactor. Now they have to escape the reactor. There's at least three more stages to that. On top of that, we've no longer got like the little quick sort of back and forth of Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader from New Hope. We have got 
a grudge match between father and son. And then, of course, we've got the Graham Battle on Endor, which I suppose you could liken it the most to the Battle of Hoth, I guess. And the Battle of Hoth is they're on the losing foot. On this, they're the underdog, but they're on the winning foot. We're the band of teddy bears and the last kind of the few rebels they can put together that aren't with Wedge and Lando up there trying to blow up the Death Star. They are fighting back the Empire and with teddy bears winning. and rocks and they're winning. Needed after the Empire Strikes Back kind of lamped the rebellion into just this worst state it has been ever. Well, it's on the losing foot the entire movie. On yeah. this one, it starts on a note of desperation. It goes, okay, Luke's back. It's fun. But there's We're still win. a great amount of... Maybe not in the space battle. You, you think, oh, maybe Lando could die. He was on the chopping block, but you thought they're not going to blow up the Falcon. Ultimately, you didn't think anyone was in trouble down on Endor. Um, but Luke, you're still not... You're kind of sure he's going to get out of this, but you don't know what's going to happen. Of course, he chops off Darth Vader's arm, and you know you think, well, Darth Vader's screwed, and then he comes the Empire, and then you get... Uh, again, the Emperor, as we mentioned... The Empire. Sure, here comes the Emperor. And just as we said with C-3PO and R2-D2, you can paint emotions onto them with just subtle movements. The kind of conflicting looks of Darth Vader looking at his tortured son and his master, and the kind of back-and-forth tennis match he's doing in his head. And then... Concluding the prophecy that Anakin will bring balance to the Force, kind of. He did a lot of unbalancing to begin with, but we got them in. Killing Gandalf. Picking up the Emperor, getting electrocuted in the process because he's more machine now than man, and lobbing the Emperor into the big hole. you think the Emperor would be more prepared for this considering, you know, he knows everything. Well, I mean, he put railings up. I mean, in terms of health and safety, he covered all his bases, but like. And he was getting on a bit. He's not as fast as he used to be. Mm. Couldn't do some cool flips or anything. So, yeah, down goes the Emperor, and we have the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. He did bring balance to the Force. Qui-Gon was kind of right all along. And actually followed Sith tradition of killing his master. Who'd have thunk it? <sighs> Just This is the little things that George Lucas includes in there that still makes me respect him. I question a lot of the things he does, but these little things he puts in there, the circular booking of everything, it just... And yeah, we get... Um, the redemption of Vader. We get the, the, the great scene of him saying, I want to look upon you with my, my own eyes. eyes. And um, you get to see battered old man. He kind of ruins the mystique of Darth Vader, but it's kind of meant to happen at that point. And again, getting like a well-respected British Shakespearean actor into Star Wars. To play him for all of about two minutes. Yeah, for a scene that was shot, um, again, a bit of trivia, that was shot with one camera, Yeah, the director... Mark Hamill. Anakin, I forget his name. Anakin. No, you know what I mean? The actor who played Anakin. Man who played Anakin, man. It'll come to me. The guy who was originally the Force Ghost until Hayden Christensen got uh, shipped in. That's the one. It'll it'll come to me. And it was filmed on a skeleton crew because people weren't supposed to know about the unmasking of Darth Vader. They were supposed to know that obviously there was going to be a happy ending. It's a kid's film. But not to the point where we were going to learn the identity that we were going to see Mm -hmm. Anakin and not Darth Vader in... Anakin slash Vader's final yeah. moments. And it's great because with the prequel ad- prequel trilogy added, it actually ends two sets of movies. This ends both, you know, the original trilogy story of Luke and the whole trilogy the whole series story of Anakin. As we said, the birth, fall and rise of Anakin is all encapsulated here. Yes, he does bring balance to the force in a roundabout way. I remember it now. 
Sebastian Shaw. Sebastian Shaw. The X-Men bad guy? I don't think so. That's who Kevin Bacon was. That's Sebastian Shaw. And Sebastian Shaw is a Shakespearean actor. And an X-Men buddy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 he does bring Bansford. Qui-Gon, if you look at the absolute letter of the law, was correct. So it brings together two great stories, two great characters there are culminating. Now, obviously, Luke's going to go on into the new trilogy, and we don't know where he's going to go. Um, yeah, a, a fantastic ending, a brilliant freeway battle that's never been topped in any movie um, since it's happened. And we get, yeah, the noise scene of him burning his body's fa- uh, his father's body. His body's father. His body's father. And, you know, in the extent, in the remastered, I actually like this bit of remastered, they show you all the different planets celebrating. You see the celebration on Coruscant, you see it on Naboo, you see it on, um, you see it on Endor. Annoyingly, you, on, you hear a Gungan. You hear a Gungan, which you could have done without. Um, and it brings... The great oh yeah, we have to mention just quickly Hayden Christensen as the Force goes. Admittedly, I didn't know who the Darth Vader goes was when I was little. I was like, oh, they invited a friend. <laughs> okay. No Quiggy though. No Quiggy though. Bear in mind, I, I forgot to mention it in um, in our Sith review. Uh, the first person to come back as a Force ghost, Qui Gon Jinn. We did mention it in our Phantom review, I think. I did. We really touch on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He um, teaches it to Yoda. Holy crap. I know. Quiggy could have just come along. Quiggy didn't get out much anymore. He could have been invited along. But yeah. Um, and that brings the Star Wars trilogy to a close. Well, quick thoughts on Return of the Jedi before we talk about everything else. Um, as I said, top five movie. It sits at number three as my third favourite movie of all time. A great ending. Great action throughout. Iconic lines. Iconic characters. There is, again. But then the Ewoks, which when, when I get told I could have had Wookiees, I'm like, well, that would have made it a better movie. But yeah. other than that, and the f- fact it could have been a Steven Spielberg movie, which God knows how much better that would have been, still a fantastic movie. It is. It's Because it's the end to the greatest trilogy of all time, we can't call it a bad movie. We could call it misguided in some senses, or perhaps far too reliant on its kid-friendly audience. Over-commercialised the, the com- to some extent. Good Lord, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's still the ending part to the greatest story ever told. It's still, for now, the final chapter of this epic space saga. It's, not about, it's about to be not be the final chapter. It is about to, it's about to be a middle chapter. Good Lord. It's, it's oh, well, the ending weird. of the middle, which is such a weird feeling. To see, to see the characters that we grew, we grew up with and to watch it again and to see Han, Luke, Leia, Lando, all these characters we care about, C-3PO, R2-D2, to be alive at the end and celebrating the fall of the Empire, mm-hmm. the victory of the Rebel Alliance, the possible reinstation of the Jedi Temple now that Luke is a Jedi Master. Yeah. Who knows where it could go? We will tomorrow, which is a weird thing. Oh, oh yes, Michael. <laughs> Say that again. We will know tomorrow. Tomorrow we get new Star Wars in our life. Oh, good Lord. That's... <laughs> An absolute beautiful feeling. Well, let's just quickly touch on that because now we've gone over very quick original trilogy, great trilogy of all time, great set of movies of all time, fantastic. All ten out of tens across the board. Now I want to talk just very briefly on our hopes for the new trilogy. We're on the dawn of the third generation of Star Wars. Essentially, our parents had their generation. We had the prequel trilogy. The ten and eleven-year-olds of today of 2015 are about to get their Star Wars trilogy. Good lord. I'm excited. I'm excited. I think it's almost impossible. I am hesitant, I will say that, because I feel 
if ever there was going to be Star Wars, say what you were about the prequel trilogies, they felt like Star Wars movies. Yeah. Bad Star Wars movies most of the time, but they felt authentic. Now that the kind of they take Disney's taken over, there's different minds. George Lucas isn't involved. My worry is that it won't feel like Star Wars. It is. It is a big worry, and from the one teaser that you've watched, mm-hmm. I, I remember you being quite uh, quite caught up on how the space battles have been filmed. It looked like a J.J. Abrams movie. Yeah, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to badmouth that because I liked Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. Basically, his audition tapes for getting a Star Wars movie, but it didn't look like Star Wars, and I'm I'm kind of worried that that they that they may divorce these movies, these three new movies we're about to get from the original series. I don't mind the spin-offs being shot differently and looking differently. I think that's actually important to the growth of the of the franchise that it can break away from its set formulas, but. Eight, nine, eight, seven, eight, and nine. I need to feel like one, two, three, four, five, six. That's my only worry. I think it's in the right hands, regardless. Yeah. I think keeping away from George, as much as he, yes, he has the great ideas, and they did say they'd be opening to listening to ideas. They won't listen to him, but they're opening to his his input. It's like I say the the line, the through line between episode one and episode nine has to be a cohesive story that contains three separate stories. Mm-hmm. The first one about the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. The second, about Darth Vader's reign and uprising the Rebel Alliance from Luke Skywalker. Yeah. What comes next? Now, there are scraps of information about. You're you not can going go to share and, any You of can them. go and find them. That's what I was going to say. Thanks, Michael. Well, okay, the scraps of information from official sources. Right. Because you can't take rumours for no. anything. And there are a lot of rumours about what's going to be in this movie. All I want is to be back into positive equity of good Star Wars movies. If you know what I mean? Get the ratio back above yeah. the red line. Above yes. the red line. And here's my prediction for tomorrow. In the first... in the If we're going at it looking at the three blocks, your first trilogy, the last one was the best. Your second trilogy, that feels wrong to say. Your middle is the best. Let's see where you got with this, Michael. Hopefully, The Force Awakens is an absolutely cracking start to another great trilogy. And the through line of talent they've got going forward, when we finally get to episode nine, mm-hmm. we see the resolution of the third generation of Star Wars. Yeah. Seeing that, like, Rian Johnson and Colin Tomorrow I know. are on board to yes. direct these things. Good Lord, I am excited. I am. I am very excited, I will say that. And Disney has given us no evidence to doubt them based on what they've how they've managed Marvel. And they've literally know, just thrown money at Marvel and said, "Make something good." They've given it to the right people. They've left it in Marvel's hands, basically, to say, "You built this empire. You know how to do it better." Not Sony, not Fox. You know how to do this. Go ahead. Now, of course, they didn't give it to George Lucas, but they've got Lawrence Kasdan in. They've got um... well, Kathleen Kennedy, who's head of Lucasfilm now. Yes, is said to be. A Star Wars nerd, which is great. JJ J. Abrams is a Star Wars oh, nerd. I could, if you said to me right now, right, you can't have Spielberg because he's just not going to be interested if George Lucas isn't in there. And George Lucas isn't doing. Who would you pick? I would pick JJ Abrams every single day of the week. He's who I trust to do this. All I'm going to say is, for posterity, <laughs> I have to say this: What if it sucks? <laughs> yeah. What will we do tomorrow night when we're on that podcast? Just imagine a world where Force Awakens isn't the second coming and it's Phantom Menace again. 
What are we going to do there, Lars Michael? I don't know. You've wasted a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's a case of like, are we going to be in the position that the generation before us was in, where we are excited, so, so excited to see the continuation of this story, and we get Jar Jar again? Like, and, and the kids all love it, as we did back with Phantom Menace back in 99. Yeah, it was great back then. And then we're going to have... I'm going to be a bit annoyed if this generation gets a good Star Wars trilogy. The one before us got a great Star Wars trilogy, and we were bummed off with the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> we got uh, we got Sith. It was okay. We got Sith. We did get Sith. I'll give you that. Okay. I'm very excited for tomorrow. Um, you're very excited for tomorrow. It's a pal- whole new Star Wars is coming their way. Quick thing. If they think BB-8 is going to replace my R2-D2, <laughs> then I'm going to come to LA and I'm going to stab every single one of them. If they dare blow up R2-D2 to make this BB-8 thing the new hot thing, I'll kill them all. <laughs> if my bare hands. Other than that, I'm very excited. Yay! <laughs> then kill Super-Apio. <laughs> Feel free to know. Just keep his head somewhere so he can have the last line again. <laughs> That's all I care about. Just Why am it. I still here? <laughs> <laughs> that, we should phone JJ and phone. He, he's in charge of nine, but, no, you know. He gives you. Get Colin tomorrow on the phone. Come on, Colin, tomorrow. I praise you so much. I was your biggest fan. Um, Nobody else gets that joke no. but us. No. Oh, that's it then, Michael. We've finished our podcast for Star Wars Week. Good God. Um, of course, there's still videos you can go and check out. Oh, yeah, of course there is. I mean, today we have got our video about the three generations of Star Wars. It's it's something that we've discussed here, about having these three generations, but it's something that I personally wanted to go into a little bit more detail on. I can't wait for that video. It's, it's going to be a great video to put together. I'm looking forward to it. Because Star Wars is a multi-generational phenomenon. It is the, the true staying power of cinema. Yes, it is. Star Wars is Star Wars, and it can't be compared to anything else. Expect a lot of gushing. Good lord! I mean, All more more than this. Even this more has than been this. a solid week of gushing, and it's going to be more than that in visual form this time. I know, right? Uh, of course, yesterday, if you didn't hear it, we've got a review of the Empire Strikes Back, and yesterday's video was the top ten moments in the Star Wars saga as it stands right now, and tomorrow. Our first impressions of Force Awakens will be going live as soon as we've seen the movie. The plan is to basically record in my car. Um, the second we get back, we will be giving him fresh, hot off the press feelings um, for you to delect. Hopefully, it might even be the first review you hear. Hopefully so. We're going to a pretty early. We're getting it before the Americans. I so. know, right? Yay! Uh, and of course, yesterday, yesterday, uh, tomorrow there'll also be a video. It will sadly be a day out of date. Because it's about our hopes for the future of the franchise, which we've slightly discussed here. Mm-hmm. But we are going to discuss more point by point and what exactly we're looking for as Star Wars moves ahead mm-hmm. into the 2020s, which makes me feel really, really old. Oh, God. A film franchise that's been around from the 70s to the 2020s, rivaled a sci-fi franchise rivaled really only by Doctor Who in terms of staying power. And even oh, then, Doctor Who went to... keep bringing up Doctor Who my Star Wars reviews? It went away for... It was spin around for 50 years. That's coming close to Star Wars now. Mm-hmm. That's... Oh, wow. When we get to 2020, the original movie will be 43 years old. Good Lord. It'll nearly be half a century old by the time this trilogy's done. Damn. Wow. Holy crap. Okay, that's the Fair play, George Lucas. Well done, George Lucas. As much as we bad move you and you're, we've questioned many things about you, we cannot deny what you have given to us. But before we go, that's not all, because Star Wars Week 
doesn't play by the rules of a standard week. You get seven days in a week. You get eight days of Star Wars week. Because after our first impressions, we're going to take a day out. We're going to properly think about everything we saw. And you can listen to another podcast, the full review, expected to be a big blockbuster event for us, of The Force Awakens. It's going to be... It's going to rival... What's our longest podcast, Michael? It's probably The Avengers. It's either The Avengers or I think it was when we covered E3 or something like that. Yeah. We're going to blow that out of the water. This is going Prepare to be Prepare for over analysis of the wazoo. Yeah, It's going to be wonderful. My favourite thing. Nerds being nerds. It is. Right then. You, for the final time, can check out my Twitter account at The Guttridge. You can also go to my website www.theguttridge.co.uk which, of course, um, once a little bit of time has elapsed after we've seen The Force Awakens, my full written review will appear on my site. We'll go into things we don't really touch on on our podcast reviews. Mickle. And, of course, foulentertainment.com if you want more Star Wars stuff. If Star Wars Week wasn't enough, trust me, there's going to be more. And, of course, any of the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., at FoulENT, that's at FoulENT. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you when The Force Awakens comes out. On the other side of The Force Awakens! Oh, my God! Ah! Goodbye! <laughs>